Psalm 139 this morning. Psalm 139. Thank you so much, ladies. That was such a blessing. Aren't you so thankful for the precious blood and sacrifice of Jesus? Without that, we do not have the salvation and the relationship with God that we do. Oh, I'm so thankful. Thank you so much for that reminder. Be praying for Pastor again. I'm so thankful for his leadership. Aren't you thankful for his family here and the amazing influence that they've been in our church during their time here? I'm, I'm so thankful for them. And just continue to be in prayer for them as they travel and as they uh, have fun with their children, I'm sure, over, over time. Um, but we're going to be in Psalm 139 this morning. Um, we're going to read this, and then we'll get into our message here. Psalm 139, the Bible says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest mine downsitting and mine uprising, and understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? 
If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. And the darkness and the light are both alike to thee, for thou hast possessed my reins. For thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely that will slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. Look down at verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we love you. We thank you so much for the truths from your word that we're going to learn this morning. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, that we have to come together here this morning. The opportunity to become who you created us to, to be. To fulfill the calling for what you have designed for each and every individual here this morning. I, God, ask that you would allow me to represent your word accurately. That you allow me to apply it practically. And Lord, that today we would be more like Jesus. And that through this time, Lord, you would encourage us. You would show us yourself. And that we would be more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I find it interesting in several different states how they do driving tests. Now, my wife grew up in Florida, South Florida specifically, and her driving test when she uh, began to get her license was much different than mine. She didn't even have to go out on a main road. I grew up in Pennsylvania where we had to do pretty much everything. We were on the road for probably maybe like 10 or 15 minutes on the main road, and we had to go and go in different roads. We had to do different things. And the classic thing that which she did not have to do was parallel park. How many of you had to do a parallel parking when you got your license? How many of you did not? All right, there's several of you. So I find it interesting how different people in different states, they handle their driving tests differently, which you can all usually tell that when you're driving through the states. Amen? Um, but um, regardless of that, there's many signs as you're driving, as you're going through, and, uh, and you're on the road. Um, there's, there's several that we have a tendency to reinterpret, don't we? When we see that speeding limit, that speed limit sign, we tend to be, ah, oh, I mean, I know that's what the speed limit is, but I mean, I won't get caught if I do this. <laughs> you know, we, we have that tendency to reinterpret certain signs. Now, there is one sign that we do not usually reinterpret. That would be the stop sign. If you've ever reinterpreted a stop sign, you probably find yourself in some trouble. You probably find yourself in possibly an accident. Now, I remember when I was learning to drive, my dad gave me a very important principle. He said, you know what the difference between this, a stop sign is, and the next one, the yield sign. You know what the difference between a stop sign and a yield sign is? My dad told me this when I was early on. He said, a $75 fine. <laughs> I know that's kind of funny, but that's the truth. Um, when it comes to our time here this morning, it's easy for us in our society, specifically in the time of day in which we live, to constantly be going 
and constantly bombarded with noise, with voices, with emotional pressure, with societal pressure, with culture to constantly just never have time to get away, never have time to stop. And so this morning, what I want us to do, what I want us to do as we look into God's word, is I want us to get a sense of I need to stop and think and ponder about the greatness of the God that I serve. Ponder the greatness of who this God is. And so this morning, we're going, to, we're going to be discussing five thoughts to stop and think about. Five thoughts to stop. And I want us to think about that now. We have a busy week. We have different things that I'm sure is going on in your life. But let's just take the next few moments to stop and think about this great God. Now, while you might say, why is it important that we think about God? Why is it important that we think rightly, in a sense, about God? Let me tell you what Warren Wiersbe said in his commentary on this passage. He said this. He says, what we think about God in our relationship to him determines what we think about everything else. That makes up this busy world. Other people, God's universe, God's will, sin, faith, and obedience. Listen to this. Wrong ideas about God will ultimately lead to wrong ideas about who we are and what we should do. And this leads to a wrong life, on a wrong path, towards a wrong destiny. In other words, theology, the right knowledge of God, is essential to a fulfilled life in this world. It's so important that when we come to Scripture, when we come to our, everyone in a sense probably through their experiences, through how they were raised, through maybe the types of churches or not churches that they grew up in, has an idea and a perception of who God is. And it's so important that we compare that to what Scripture actually tells God to be. Because if I think wrongly about who God is and how he's interacting and involved in my life, I am going to begin to see myself not who God designed me to be. I'm going to begin to see my circumstances not the way that God designed me to perceive them. So it's important that we think rightly about God. So we're going to have five thoughts here this morning about thinking rightly about God. The first one here this morning we're going to share is God knows you intimately. God knows you intimately. Look back at our passage here this morning. He says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. I find it interesting as he starts this off. He doesn't say, God, you know all things. But he starts off and he says, God, you know me. You've searched my life. I find it interesting that this God who's such a God of exhaustible knowledge and exhaustible uh, opportunities and abilities, yet he says, God, you are this great God, yet you know me personally. There's this personal omniscience. That word search there, he says, you've searched me. He says, it's an idea used for mining, for the idea of penetrating, seeking out, examining intimately. Um. This past April, uh, my wife and I bought a house. And so as many of you know who have bought a house before, part of the process is you have to pay for the home inspection. Those are wonderful, aren't they? It's almost like this is such a great house. My wife loves this house. And then you're like, all right, here's everything that's wrong with your house. Have fun. Um, and uh, so, But when they do those, they let you know all the different things that are wrong with, your, with that house. They, all the problems of probably why you shouldn't buy that house. Um, but you think about it, there's, there's a deep inspection. And when we come to scripture here, we see God and, God and we learn that God knows me. He searched me. God has inspected every area of your life. And what that means is, he's not going to leave any stone unturned, any secret in the dark. He's going to expose in your life things that aren't like himself. And just as Philippians 1.6 reminds us that he which hath begun a good work 
will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, since that's important, since that's vital for my success as a Christian, I understand that there's nothing in my life that God doesn't know about. God has inspected me. He knows everything about me. Yet, you know what I find so comforting? God knows us so intimately. And that's the wrong and the bad and the good. Yet he loves us so perfectly. A God who knows all of our weaknesses, all of our faults, yet loves us perfectly. So we see here that God has searched us, God has known us. Um, the idea there is understood. Have you ever talked to someone and they're listening to you, but they don't really understand where you're coming from? Um, sometimes that happens probably as a, as a husband. I'm, there's several times that Brittany has talked to me about something and I'm listening, but I'm not really understanding where she's coming from. Um, Probably most of the husbands in here probably have some sort of conversation like that with your wife at some point. But aren't you glad that God not only knows us, but he understands us. He knows how we feel. He knows what's going on in our lives. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So God has searched us and known us. Look there in verse number two. He says, thou knowest mine downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. The idea here of, of downsitting and uprising. Downsitting is a time of quiet rest. Uh, the idea is the silent hours of the night. Uprising here is the idea of going forth in the morning toils of the day. So every action in which I am at rest, which I'm not maybe active at work, or the times where I'm active doing something, every single moment of those, God is completely aware of. And when we look at this word knows, God knows that. Um, we have the idea of, oh, I know that this happened yesterday. Where this verb here is a complete tense, so the idea is God presently has complete knowledge of every time I'm going to be resting, every time I'm going to be in active work doing something for the entire existence of my life. So right now, God knows that in your future, in something that might be, uh, not aware, you might not be aware of. So God knows all of those actions in my life. He knows every time of rest, every time of work that we will have. He also says here, thou knowest, thou understandest my thought afar off. God knows what I'm thinking about before I think it. The idea of here of understand is to perceive with the senses. Those thoughts here are wants, desires. Uh, God knows and perceives with every sense your desires, or in other words, your motivations. The things in which you think about, God knows everything. God knows it all. And he knows it about you. Now, many of us, um, probably mostly men in here, we have a sort of thinking that most women, probably all women, do not comprehend. It's our favorite thought. It is our nothing box. It's the, it's the place that we go when we don't want to think about anything. Maybe it's when you're like doing some sort of physical work and then your wife comes in. What are you thinking about? Nothing. No, no, no. What are you really, what's really thinking? I'm not thinking about anything. And, and so that's something that's very unique. Now, another thing that's very unique, specifically between uh, Brittany and myself, is I don't know about you, but when I have a long day, or when I just go throughout my day, usually I'm thinking throughout the entire day. Usually I'm thinking about something, but when my head hits that pillow, I'm ready to think about nothing. Because I actually came to that bed to, I don't know, sleep. Um, but yet, my wife has a completely different reality. The moment her head hits the pillow, it... So what, did, what are you thinking about having for lunch tomorrow? I mean, are, are, what did you think about this? And, and all of a sudden, it's just a conversation. And I'm thinking, I came here to sleep, not to talk. Um, but 
that's fine. It's unique. Um, but I'm so thankful for my wife. I will say that. Um, but everyone's thinking is different. Yet, God knows your thoughts personally. The things that you're struggling with. The things that you're worried about. The things that you're excited about. God knows and understands those. Not only that, look there in verse number 3. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all of my ways. God knows not only every action in your life, but he knows every path. Your future plans, your decisions. The idea of there to compass is to dwell or lodge. In other words, God is as familiar with your life and your path as our inhabiting of the same house would be. The idea here is if any of you have lived in the same house for a long period of time, you are very aware of the design of the house, of how far something is from you and exactly how that is. You're very familiar with that. God is just as familiar with the whole stretch of your entire life, the path, the direction, the, the steps, and how your life is going to play out. God is that familiar. The idea, another area of compasses is here is to measure up. The idea is to measure that. So it's a comprehensive surrounding of my path. There's no way that I can go, no part of my journey in this life that God is not in. He's completely immersed in my path. He has spread it out. He has measured it. Now, how many of you know what this is? It's a tape measure. I know it's kind of a small one, but, you know, we'll work with it. So, tape measure. So, um, growing up, we did a lot of construction um, with my family. And uh, my brother, bless his heart, if you know what I mean when I say that. My brother has a lot of immense abilities and capabilities and skills. But when we were growing up, reading a tape measure was not one of them. There would be multiple times where we would working at a job, and, we, and it's pretty simple. You measure a board, it's this long, and that's what you have to cut the board at. It should be a pretty simple principle. But when we would be over there, which I don't understand why we would continue to give him the job of measuring stuff, but that's besides the point. Um, but we would, we would ask him, hey, Josh, what's the measure of that board? And he would say, all right, it's uh, 23 and... The two lines between the little big line. <laughs> like, what are we supposed to do with that? Um, but it, it's funny to think about that. But measurements, I mean, the point of a tape measure is to have something specifically measured out. It is exact. And what we have to realize in our life, though there might seem uncertainty, though your future is uncertain to all of us, that God has measured it out exactly and has designed your path for things to play out in your life exactly as they have played out and is exactly with you through every step and every stage. He has measured it out exactly and he is surrounding it and working in our lives for our own good. Look there in verse number five, or number four. There is not a word in my tongue below. Oh Lord, thou knowest it all together. The Bible talks here that he says he knows every word that we speak before we even speak it. In my entire life, God has present knowledge now of every word I'm going to speak for the rest of my life. Now, there's encouragement in that, but there's also conviction in that about the words that I'm going to say this week to my wife, to someone that maybe upsets me or annoys me. Those words, God already knows I'm going to say that. But there's also encouragement in my life that when I look in the mirror and I begin to see and look at my own weaknesses and faults, and I begin to say things to myself and degrade myself or, or think less of myself, I begin to realize that God is there. And he's designed me, and he's working in my life, even when those things might come out of my mouth. The Bible says here in verse number 5, Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. 
The idea here is he has surrounded me. He has besieged me. He has encircled me with his presence. It's amazing that with uh, the pandemic going on, all the uncertainty that we see, realize that this is all on God's path for me. He has placed you on this journey. He doesn't just know you, but cares about you and is taking you on this journey that is designed for you by God, whatever you might be facing. The idea here is he says, he has laid his hand upon me. Realize that in your life, God knows just the right amount of pressure to place on your life to accomplish what he knows is best for you. It's never going to be too much. It's never going to be not enough. He knows just the right amount. He designed you. Now, how many of you are iPhone users? All right. So we have the true believers in here. Um, no, just kidding. So there's several of you that might be, uh, you know, some other uh, user, but we're not going to talk about them. Um, but imagine if today, if Steve Jobs were still alive, if he came into this room and, and we saw him there with a puzzled look on his face. And he's just like, what? He's just kind of like looking at it. You imagine if you had to go up to him and say, oh, you, you're supposed to hit this button. You're supposed to type in this this way. You'd be like, that's, that's absurd. He designed this interface. He designed this. Yet so many of us in our life, when things don't go the way that we expect them to go, when things don't, we don't perceive things to be the way that God really should be working in our life, that God really should be providing for us in our life, yet we look at God, who is our designer, and say, I don't think you know what you're doing. I don't think you, 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 I know you created me, but this is how it really needs to go. I know you that you're working in this way, but God, you really need to work this way. This is how this really should go. And we need to come to our designer and say, God, you've designed me. You have measured out my path. You know everything about me. You have examined me. There's nothing in my life, inward, outward, my plan for life that you are not aware of. And I can trust you. His response here is, this is too wonderful for me. So the, the psalmist here, David, he looks at all these things and how God knows everything about him. And yet his response is, I can't even comprehend this. This blows my mind that, God, you know this much about me. It's amazing that this God, who seems so distant, who seems so vast away from us, is actually involved in every detail of my life, is actually aware of everything that I'm facing. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that knows you intimately. But many times as we go through situations, many times as we go through difficulties, we struggle with, God, how are you working this? Uh, why are you allowing this to happen? When my grandmother passed away several years ago, we were going through some of her material. And inside of her Bible, she had a quote that I think is very important for all of us to think about when it comes to this principle. She's had this written down. It's better to know God than no answers. Sometimes in our life, God is working and God is at work and God is plotting out the different areas of my life and what he's exposing in my life. And so many times I say, God, I want to know why. God, I want to know how this is going to work. I want to know what the steps are going to be for the, for the next few years of my life. And many times God brings things into our lives. And God brings uncertainty. Not so that we can know why he's working. But so that way we can know him more. So that way we could know him personally. So not only does God know you intimately. But second of all this morning we're going to see God is with you constantly. God is with you constantly. You can imagine David here. He, he's contemplating this, this idea that God knows him. 
and sin. I, I have to get away from this God who knows me, away from this God who, who, who knows all these things about me. And then he realizes, I can't escape this God. Look there in verse number 7. He says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I send up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. He's realizing, God, you're everywhere. There's nowhere I can go that you are not there. The idea there of the wings of the morning is the idea of the vast edges of the morning. Um, and then he talks about in the uttermost parts of the sea. The, the picture there is as far as I can imagine, as far as I can see. You can imagine David almost probably standing, maybe at, or sitting at a cliff, looking over to the Mediterranean Sea, as, as he probably had done many times. And he's looking as far as he can imagine. And he's saying, God, this is going on in my life. But if I was all the way over there, as far as I can see, you'd still be there with me. If I came all the way up to heaven, you're there. If I, made, if I were all the way down in the depths of hell, you're there. And what he's realizing is there's no place that I can go that God is not leading me, that God is not holding me, that God is not working in my life to bring about what he knows is best. Look there in verse number 11. I think we all find ourselves in this place. If I say, how many of you always predict the worst? <laughs> how many of you are, are the people that, oh, this just isn't going to go well. Uh, th oh, here comes the darkness. Here comes this. Here, here comes this election season. Here comes this pandemic. This is just all going to fall apart and our just world's just coming to an end. And you, maybe a situation comes and, and it, you're not really sure how it's going to go, but you predict the worst is going to happen in that situation. I'm thankful that even through, though we question, even though we're unaware of what might happen, God's with us. And there's nothing that we can go through that he's not going to be there with us through. Um, my father-in-law um, owns a cabin up in North Carolina. And there was a time probably about a month or two ago that he, he was up there and it was dark at night. And many of you who have been maybe in the mountains or whatnot at night, there's not, you know, street lights to let you know where to walk and whatnot. But he was walking outside of his cabin one night, and it was pitch black, and he just had to get something, and he didn't turn the lights on because, I mean, he's a guy, he can figure out, well, we'll be fine, right? And uh, he goes out there, and he hits his toe and breaks his toe. And he did that because he couldn't see a thing. When we're in the dark, we can't see anything. We're limited at what we can perceive. We're limited at how far we can go, at the direction that we can be. Yet he's telling, he, you can imagine David here is seeing, even the darkness can't keep God from working in my life. Even the darkness can't hide me from God. Look there in verse number 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. He's setting up that no matter what I say, no matter how I feel, if I think the worst, here comes the darkness, even if I say these things, that's nothing to God. Realize that I am so loved, so cared for, redeemed, guided by my God, that even what looks like darkness to me is midday brightness to God. Whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm going through, whatever seems uncertain, whatever seems dark, and there's nothing that can happen that's good out of this, God says here, there's nothing that's keeping him from working in your life. There's nothing that I can't see. There's nothing that I'm limited and viewing in your life and limited in at work in your life. Darkness doesn't hide my path from God. 
It may be hiding stuff from me, but it doesn't hide anything from him. We can look at maybe the pandemic we're experiencing, the culture that is opposed to God, and feel so alone, but realize God knew all of this was going to happen. He is there with you. This is nothing for him. It's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to find ourselves down about the things that we perceive, about what life really should be like, about getting back to normal. Yet we can look at a God who is bigger and better than all of these things. And if my hope can then begin to be in him and who he is and how he has designed this pandemic to be in my life right now. And he has designed me to live in this culture that is opposed to God right now. He has designed that. He has brought me in a place of this life at this moment. And I can have my hope in him and in how he is at work in my life. So darkness isn't going to keep God from me. There's nothing I can do that's going to keep God from being at work in my life. So we see that God knows me intimately. He is with me constantly. There's no place I can go that God's not with me. But thirdly, we're going to see this morning, God made you wonderfully. God made you wonderfully. You can't ignore him. Uh, We're going to look there in verse number 13. For thou hast possessed my reign. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul that my soul knoweth right well. God has designed and, and, and given him life. The idea there of possess is the idea to purchase. Uh, it's kind of the word that we use in the New Testament as redeem, to buy back. So my life, my existence has been purchased by God. God gave me life, and he has purchased me. He has bought me back. My reins there is the idea of uh, the midsection of the body. Figuratively, it's almost like the seat of the emotions, the, the control center of how I perceive life, how I go through life. Yet God has possessed it, that I belong to God. He says he has covered me, he's protected me. You've been placed under the protective presence of God, even in your mother's womb. And his response here is, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Like God has made me, God has designed me. Turn your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 1. I think this is going to be a, a help to you this morning. This is something that I'm, I'm thankful for, the, the truth of this in my life. Jeremiah chapter 1. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet near the end of the time of Israel, uh, during the time of when they were going to be taken over by Babylon. And the Bible says here in Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, the Bible says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. So, so here he says, God has designed him even while he was in the belly. Even while he was being formed, God designed him. God gave him an identity. God gave him a calling. In my life, when I look at myself, and there's things that I might not like. There's things that I might not enjoy or, or, or wonder, why am I like this? When I'm hard on me, my inner conversation, beginning to measure myself with others, I have to come back to the reality. God designed me. God designed you. Realize that your designer did not make a mistake in how he designed you. Your designer did not make a mistake when he designed you. When the, the way that you are, the, the tendencies that you have in your life were put there by God. 
God doesn't make junk. You're not random. So in, in our lives, there might be some here that have a tendency to denigrate yourself. They might have a tendency to say, like, why don't I have their abilities? Why don't I have their looks? Why don't I have their skin color? Why don't I have their height? Why don't I have their size? And what we have to come back to is when you were in the belly, God formed you. God knew you. And God put a calling on your life. God created you with a purpose. And when I try to compare myself with others and try to live up to some fake facade that someone else has, I am arguing with my designer. I'm looking at my designer and saying, God, I know better. God, what you did, you made a mistake. And we have to realize God didn't make a mistake when he designed you, when he created you the way that he created you. Your design and function, skin color, size, ability was put there by God. So who you are, your tendencies, your abilities, God gave those to you. So enjoy that. Be and live out who he designed you to be. That is so pivotal for each one of us every day. So your design and function was put there by God. Now what this means then, because of that, I have value. That means I have value because I'm an image bearer of God. You know what that also means? That means that everyone around me also has value because they're an image bearer of God. So what that means then is our relationships with each other, specifically as believers, needs to be one where we are esteeming, where we are valuing each other. It's amazing to me how throughout church history, throughout Christendom, throughout even believers today, how we can get so petty and so caught up and hurt by each other and not be reconciled. You realize that there's other believers in your life that have hurt you, that have wronged you. You realize you're going to spend eternity with them forever. And so if there's something that someone has done, if there's someone that something has taken away from you, something that someone has wronged you, you realize that because God has given you value, because God has given you uh, the, the value that you could give to then others, I need to real, realize I need to be reconciled to one another. I, I need to have a relationship with each other that I am reconciled, that I am making my relationships right with every person I'm in contact with. Because I can't sit here and talk about this great God who reconciled me, who was an enemy of him, and then look at someone else who's wronged me and said, no, I'm not going to forgive you. No, I'm not going to be reconciled to you. I'm going to keep my distance. We forgot who loves us, and who has given us a great reconciliation. He's made us who are enemies, his affectionate children. This is the God who we serve. And so when we look at our relationship with others, I, I look at others with value. I look at others the way God looks at me. That's so important for us to think about, important for us to, to realize in my life it needs to be about the value that God has placed on me and the value that I can place on others. He says, that my soul knoweth right well. He says, I know this. This is so true. This is, this is so valid in my life to think about that God made me and he's given me value. But not only that, we also see the fourth thing here this morning, that God thinks about you affectionately. God thinks about you affectionately. Um, we're there in verse number 16, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. 
How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. How great is the sum of them. Uh, This is an amazing truth here. God thinks about you. And his thoughts towards you aren't something that are, uh, are, are, are sporadic, are, oh, they're kind of every now and then. But God is thinking about you constantly. God is thinking about you in an affectionate way. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's one of the th- important things that we think about when we're looking at the study of God. Is that when I look at God, I realize, A.W. Tozer said this, he said, what I think about God is the most important thing to me. What I think about who my God is, is one of the most important things about me. What I would even add to that to this, what I think, what I believe God thinks about me. So let me ask you that question. What do you believe God thinks about you? Because if you're like me, when you wake up every day, when you go through your experiences in life, you know your weaknesses. You know your faults. You know where you've let people down. You know where you even let yourself down. And then you look to God and you say, God, you even know me better than I know myself. You know my weaknesses. You know my faults. You know my difficulties. And if I've let me down and others down, you know even more that I've let you down. And yet God's disposition towards you isn't one of, oh, well, get up and get better. Go on, go on, do better. His, his disposition toward me is good, is precious. The idea of precious there is highly esteemed and valued. You realize that God has highly esteemed you. That whatever you might be facing, you are highly esteemed by God because of what he's done in the gospel. Which is amazing to me. So, we all know our weaknesses. We all know those faults in which we, we've come into. So how can a God who knows us so intimately love us so deeply? Because of the gospel. Because when I was without Christ, I was an enemy to the cross. I was an enemy to God. I had wronged him and, and committed such wickedness against him. Yet he and his love decided to come down and, and live a perfect life, die for me on the cross. So that now when, G, when God the Father looks at me, he sees me as perfect as Jesus. He sees me as holy as Jesus. He sees me as innocent as Jesus. And so then now when God the Father looks at me and his thoughts towards me are precious, it is because of the great work of Christ. And I'm so thankful that that is so true, that is so important in my life that I constantly embark on remembering and thinking about so there isn't anything in this world that can take away how valuable you are to god there's not anything so god thoughts towards you are uncountable it says here that there is the sands of the sea look here he says when i wake up so look there in verse number 18 he says if i should count them they are more in number than the sand when i awake i am still with thee you know what's an amazing truth that every day when i wake up every morning for the rest of my life God's with me, and I'm with him. Wherever you might find yourself this morning, maybe you find yourself kind of strayed away from your relationship with God. Maybe you haven't even been pursuing a relationship with God. You realize if you turn around right now, God's not far, he's not distant, he's right there. He's there with his arms open. He's there to help you become who he designed you to be. God is with you and is thinking about you affectionately the fifth thing we'll see this morning and and we'll be done soon is this god will do what is right eternally god will do what is right eternally you know it doesn't take us very long to see where we've been wronged and where we've been hurt by people you might look at this passage as he continues to go on about how god's going to slay the wicked you're saying that kind of seems kind of out of place 
Well, the truth is, if you think that if God knows all things, if God's with us throughout everything, and he's seeing everything that's going on in this life, and if he's made me, if he's thinking about all these things in life, it's very easy for us. And like, well, what about this evil that's going on? What about these people that are hurting people? What about these murders? What about these people that are doing wicked things? And we can look here and God saying, you know what? I'm going to make it right. I'm going to do what's right eternally. He talks about these people who are haters of God. Look there in verse number 19. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. Look down at verse number 22. He says, I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. These are people that are haters of God. This specifically is speaking of those who intentionally are in rebellion against God. And the psalmist is here declaring his integrity, that he doesn't want to associate with those that hate God and those who represent him. So living in a sin-cursed world, we shouldn't be surprised when sinners sin. Because that's what they're going to do. That's, they're going to live like their father, the devil. That, that's, that's what our nature is before we came to Christ. Yet, I need to hate the sin that I see. David is marveling at who God is. He's marveling that then there's this wickedness around him. But here's an important thing. David's desire is not only to hate the sin which is around. But then now, he says, I need to hate the sin that's within not only hate the sin, not only look around and see, wow, there's this going on. Or how can those people be living? How, how is God allowing this? And then he says, you know what? I need to look at my own self and say, God, is there anything within me? So then we come to that end of that passage there. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. He says, God, I'm looking around and I'm seeing such sinfulness. I'm looking around and I'm seeing such wickedness. And God, I want to make sure that that's not in here. I want to make sure that as I'm going through my life, as I'm going through the life that you've designed me, that you've plotted out, that you've put me on, that there's not sin in here. That there's not things in my life that shouldn't be there. Things that are in my life that aren't your best. The idea there to try is to test metal over fire. And that's not going to be comfortable. That's not always easy. Yet when God brings me through the things that he places in my life, I can now approach scripture. I can now approach my life. I can now perceive the path that God has put me on and said, God, you know me. God, you're with me. You think about me. You made me from the beginning. You're going to do what's right. So God, is there anything in here that needs to be changed? Is there anything in my mind, in my heart, in my perspective, in my preferences that needs to be submitting to you? Needs to be tested. We can talk about how amazing this God is. And yet from here today... I mean, we have a heart that says, God, I don't just want to come here and just think about these great things about God. I want to be changed. So today, maybe there's some things in your life where you need to stop comparing yourself with others and live out who God made you to be. Maybe today you need to be valuing others and be reconciled to them. Maybe you need to today to seek and invite God and in, to search you. To, to see, God, is there anything that in my life that I'm, that I'm convincing myself is right, that I'm convincing myself is okay, but it's not? Maybe you're going through a decision this morning that it's hard for you to, to gather. How is this going to be working out for good? How is this going to work in a better way for me? And we need to trust God and let him have that preeminence. Today, as we think about this great and vast, amazing God, may we come like David and say, God, you know everything about me. You know, you've inspected my life and there's nothing in me that you don't know. Lord, you're with me no matter, no matter what I face, no matter what I'm going through. God, you're thinking about me constantly. You affectionately love me. 
And may that produce in each one of us this morning, as we go throughout this week, God, search this. Is, is there anything evil in this? Is there anything wrong in here? So that way I can be who you designed me to be. Is there anything in my life that I need to be willing to let go of so that God's best can happen in my life? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we love you. We want your best for our lives. And Lord, if that